Last week I made the point, or a couple of points, which set the stage for the parable. And first, that the parable of the prodigal son, one could make a good argument, is misnamed because the text very plainly says there was a man who had what? Two sons. (laughs) Isn't it funny how we come up with stuff that is like, okay, that's right there in the Bible, yet we come up with, because we're focused on that younger son, I suppose, and maybe understandably. Well, second, our understanding of the word prodigal for the most for the most part is off because the idea of prodigal means to be reckless or to having spent it all and so I made the point last week that if there we talked about being reckless and spending it all then we see it in the father in the way that he is reckless and extravagant in his grace to the younger son and we know that Acts, or the Act 1 of the story, and we're in Act 2 today, we'll get there at least in a moment, is very moving as the younger son finds his way back into this reunion with the father. And the younger son is such a dramatic figure in the way he goes and wastes his life that the father's It's matched only by the father's very, very extravagant and complete and moving way that he finds this reunion with the younger son. And in the midst of all of that story, it's probably easy for all of us to forget about the older son. But of course, he's our focus this morning, and there's a lot that he has to teach us. The text in verse 25 says, Meanwhile, The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Wonder what he was thinking and feeling while the younger son was gone. Was he dismayed? Was he shocked? Was he sad? Was he indifferent during that time when his brother was no longer in the home? Verse 29 of our text says this, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That is, he remained obedient to his father. Yet, yet what do you think of his response? What does Jesus want us to understand? It seems to me that while the response sounded so good, he had never disobeyed, still the elder brother has a problem. And we want to think about that for just a few minutes this morning. The younger son left home and returns, and because of the father's gracious heart, is brought back in, and now... As we read our text, the older brother, the elder brother, is the one who is on the outside. Missing the great banquet. Preoccupied with his anger. Refusing to go in. And I think the story forces both Jesus' listeners, then and now, I want to suggest this, to reconsider our understanding of sin. 
what do I mean? Well, mostly sin for most of us, and still popular in our culture, is understood as somehow there are these moral standards and we miss the mark of those moral standards. We don't keep up with them. And that's not a wrong way to understand it. In fact, there are many passages of Scripture that point out a list of sin. That if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you stay away from this kind of lifestyle. We can even see it very plainly in the Gospels. There are sins of the flesh that are in opposition to God's holiness. So I don't want you to hear me belittling uh, this as if it doesn't matter how we live morally. It does. But I want us to see something else in the text. The older son says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But would you agree with me that while the younger son was obviously immoral, there is something bad embedded in the heart of this older one? The parable has been described by Tim, Tim Keller as two sons choosing two ways to happiness. And I think we can identify this. And in fact, most of us in our families and in our communities, in our culture, in our church could kind of see this, in broadly speaking, at least these two ways. The first path is the path of the younger son, and we would call that the path of self-discovery. That I've got to go far away. I've got to go to some faraway land and do my own thing and make my own decisions and live the way I want and nobody can stop me. And we've seen this play acted out endlessly in books and in movies and frankly in many of us. And I would say it's more popular than ever. It's a very, very popular storyline. But the older son, meanwhile, takes the path of what I could use a number of different words this morning, but I want to call it the path of compliance. We could use the word of conformity. We could use the path of tradition. There are a number of ways of saying it. But this son says, I'll comply with the rules and traditions. I will obey the law. I will stop at the stop signs. I won't speed. I will keep my insurance card in the car at all times. This son sticks with the faith of the fathers. Maybe you could say generationally, he was a Church of Christ member in our context a religious follower in this way. He follows the way of the morally good. And, and I think we could also say that those in this group are usually quick to roll their eyes at the free spirits, those who have gone off in self-discovery, 
the self-expressionists of the world, and oftentimes they, we find that they, and myself included, will lay, lay massive blame on the world, the liberal world, this immoral group, in one way or another, on account of them, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, not surprisingly, often in families, and I don't necessarily mean always chronologically, but often in families, how this just happens, and there's some dynamics. Susan could help us understand this psychologically, but there are often an older one, an older son, and a younger son, or an older brother, and a younger brother or an older sister and a younger sister or an older, older sister and a younger brother. You get it. Some combination where this respect for one another, even within a nuclear family, is low because we have chosen different paths. Everybody with me? Of course, sometimes, and this is the really devious part of all of this and somewhat relates to the class I'm teaching on, in the uh, leadership class. The outer persona of the older brother as the rule keeper, there is often a skeleton in the closet because the, the persona of the older brother is not one to be able to admit very easily that they're not quite who they want to portray themselves to be. And this happens over and over again, and we could find many, many examples of illustrating this, but the presentation publicly is one thing, but in private there is an alternative lifestyle. There is a lover-kept secret. There is an internet predator. And this happens, even psychologically, because suppression and pretension are not a good fix. The all-too-common illustration of this, unfortunately, is pointed at the minister who was always preaching on sexual sins and ends up covering up his own discretion. How many times can we tell that story? Here are two approaches to living, and I want to suggest in some ways they are both off base. The younger man is full of doing his own way, but what's amiss in this elder brother response? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The older brother, for one, and there may be several things, and you could help me through this, and I'm welcome to feedback because it's all a little bit speculative in some ways, but we, I think we can kind of read between the lines. The older brother feels a certain sense of entitlement. He feels he's earned it. He's earned the right. He is certain that his goodness and his self-discipline and his obedience have won him some credit. Why does the elder brother seemingly lose sight of the father's love? I just want to suggest this, that his focused efforts 
at being the good son becomes his stumbling block. Now this takes a little bit of thinking through because this is almost opposite of what we would think on first blush. His pride in a clean record, in good behavior, in looking good, actually becomes his downfall. It is not his wrongdoing, but his sense of being in the right that keeps him from coming to the celebration. That part seems obvious in the text. Could it be that the two brothers are actually a lot alike? While one went far away, the other stayed close. Both wanted control over their life. And finding themselves resenting, get this, their father. One rebelled by being bad the other rebelled is this possible by being good however seeing this second approach I do believe is a little bit not as straightforward not as clear because the older son had nothing on his list of sins and yet everything's still wrong with his heart The older son has been good and he's been obedient, but deep in his heart, the text tells us he's angry. He resents his brother, and that's a dead giveaway. Both indicators that something is wrong. I think the older brother's sins are maybe tied to what I would call a self-salvation project or self-salvation effort. And what you find with the older brother is he's often comparing himself to others. There is a little bit of a better than spirit. There's a certain self-confidence. There's a certain pride. There's a certain uh, sort of enjoying the competition of being better than. And I suspect that older brothers have trouble seeing themselves clearly. Having sin at the root of one's heart rather than easily visible in their actions toward others is just harder to detect. There's more self-reliance than reliance on God's mercy. And if you've chosen a path of goodness to find favor with God, there is a subtle tendency to feel you are owed more than you are getting. Do you ever find yourself resentful? Do you ever find yourself resentful in your faith, in your relationship with God, with God? Do you ever find yourself resentful or angry with the church? Do you ever find yourself looking down on others? Do you ever find a payoff in comparing yourself to others? 
If your faith finds yourself prone to resentment and anger, maybe we need to revisit the faith. And for this reason, I want to suggest that repentance is more than apologizing for your sins. It includes that. But true change must include facing the depth of our own heart. Repentance must include pride over our good deeds as much as shame over our bad ones. Now, I didn't create a slide on that, but that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, apologize for the pride. Apologize for the pride. Please forgive me, Lord, for being that older brother. Jesus teaches in this parable that both sons are outside. One in the far country and the other refusing the community celebration. Both hearts far away from the father. Let's do the math for a minute. One-third of the family wealth is now gone. That younger son, the older son gets two-thirds of it by culture, by tradition, and one-third of it is completely wasted. Two-thirds are left. The older son is now watching a chunk of his share being thrown away on a big party. But more than that, as the father welcomes the younger home, is it possible that the younger son will now become an heir of what remains. The older son sees the father give up his robe, give the family ring, and give the party, and he's asking himself, where does this mismanaged generosity end? Here's the deep truth. Isn't it possible that neither son loved the father for the father's sake? Though they took different paths, each of the sons used the father for their own selfish ends. The older feeling it is his right to tell the father how to use the estate the older refusing the father's happiness. That wasn't his first goal. Let me put it in some words maybe as it would apply for us. You can rebel against God by breaking all the rules and you can rebel against God in keeping all the rules.
or redefining sin. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Sin is more than breaking the rules. Sin is putting yourself before God and others. Don't be your own savior. Don't think your goodness is good enough. Don't compare your goodness to others. I think what this story is missing is one more character. A true brother. And the only way for reconciliation to happen is at the expense of someone. That's what Ross shared with us in communion. There has to be a payment and a sacrifice. And it didn't happen from the younger brother. And it didn't happen from the older brother. And since the older brother has inherited the estate now, I would say it clearly must be at his expense, but he's not willing to pay it. Notice his disdain in verse 30. But when this son of yours, I love that. I don't know if I love it, but I mean, I think it's a very interesting point in the text where the older brother says, that's your son, father. It's not my brother, it's your son. Has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I would suggest that in this entire parable, Jesus' listeners, it would bring to mind another story. Can you think of what it might be in the scripture? What about the story of Cain and Abel? Wouldn't those Pharisees and those teachers of the law, wouldn't they have heard through their Old Testament as Jesus is telling this story, presumably and they've never heard this story of this father and these two sons for the first time, their minds would have gone back to the book of Genesis and the story of Cain and Abel where the older brother there has some problems in that story. And what does God ask Cain? Where is your brother? Where is your younger brother? Cain, Abel. And how does Cain answer? Am I my brother's keeper? Isn't there a remarkable similarity? And do you remember in Luke 15, there are three parables that are told. In parable one, there's a shepherd that goes aggressively searching after one sheep. 99 are here, one is out there, and he goes to find the one. In the second parable, there's a woman who goes madly searching after the lost coin in, in the house. And she'll look anywhere and everywhere until she finds it. In this parable... I got a question for you. Who goes looking for the lost son? 
No one. Who should have? At least one from one perspective, had the older brother understood what was truly good, had he understood what he had at home, had he understood the father's heart, had he cared for his family, had he loved his brother, he would have immediately set out to find his little brother and bring him home. The cost of doing this for the older son would no doubt be great. However, there's always a cost to be a true older brother. And while the elder son fails in his role to be a true prodigal, that is to be a reckless giver, one that will spend it all, guess what? We have a true reckless giver, just like the Father. We have a true brother. I want to suggest this. The one telling the parable is exactly this true brother that we most need. We have a brother who has left the house of the Heavenly Father just as he was asked, who came to a distant country to find wandering lost people who was stripped of his robe for us and paid every last debt despite the massive cost on a cross to honor his father for the sake of all of his children. Even for the wayward sons and daughters and for all the elder brothers and elderly sisters, especially you and me.